content of this program is intended for people who are blind or print impaired. Hello and welcome to our January 21, 2021 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately, a program from the North Carolina Reading Service. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season and are already set for a happy new year. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons, all interested in supporting the library and the services it provides. Now, the Friends Group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across North Carolina. If you'd like to join the Friends Group yourself, we'll We'll have information on how to do that later in this program. This program is all about books with special emphasis on those available from the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. The library has more than 11,000 patrons across the state, and if you're not a patron, but you're interested in becoming one, I'll have more information at the end of this program on how you can do that. This month, we'll take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of December at the North Carolina Library for the Blind. Now, let's begin this program with one of the biggest nonfiction books of the pre-holiday period, A Promised Land by Barack Obama, a riveting deeply personal account of history in the making from the president who inspired us to believe in the power of democracy. In the stirring, highly anticipated first volume of his presidential memoirs, Barack Obama tells the story of his improbable odyssey from young man searching for his identity to leader of the free world, describing in strikingly personal detail both his political education and the landmark moments of the first term of his historic presidency, a time of dramatic transformation and turmoil. Obama takes readers on a compelling journey from his earliest political aspirations to the pivotal Iowa caucus victory that demonstrated the power of grassroots activism to the watershed night of November 4, 2008, when he was elected 44th president of the United States, becoming the first African American to hold the nation's highest office. Reflecting on the presidency, he offers a unique and thoughtful exploration of both the awesome reach and the limits of presidential power, as well as singular insights into the dynamics of U.S. partisan politics and international diplomacy. Obama brings readers inside the Oval Office and the White House Situation Room and to Moscow, Cairo, Beijing, and points beyond. We are privy to his thoughts as he assembles his cabinet, wrestles with a global financial crisis, takes the measure of Vladimir Putin, overcomes seemingly insurmountable odds to secure passage of the Affordable Care Act, clashes with generals about U.S. strategy in Afghanistan, tackles Wall Street reform, responds to the devastating Deepwater Horizon blowout, and authorizes Operation Neptune's spear, which leads to the death of Osama bin Laden. 
A promised land is extraordinarily intimate and introspective. The story of one man's bet with history, the faith of a community organizer, tested on the world stage. Obama is candid about the balancing act of running for office as a black American, bearing the expectations of a generation buoyed by messages of hope and change, and meeting the moral challenges of high-stakes decision-making. He is frank about the forces that opposed him at home and abroad, open about how living in the White House affected his wife and daughters, and unafraid to reveal self-doubt and disappointment. Yet he never wavers from his belief that inside the great ongoing American experiment, progress is always possible. This beautifully written and powerful book captures Barack Obama's conviction that democracy is not a gift from on high, but something founded on empathy and common understanding and built together day by day. It's a great book, A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Now let's turn to a book of fiction. This one is entitled The Exiles by Christina Baker Klein. And this is from a review that was done by Bronwyn Miller on August 25th of 2020. This is a new book. Christina Baker Klein's latest novel, The Exiles, transports readers to the 19th century Australia and the perilous journey to get there. 21-year-old Evangeline, the daughter of a country parson, is employed as governess to the Whitstone children in the Tony London neighborhood of St. John's Wood. Her shyness and education sometimes falsely portray her as aloof and elitist, but her solitary ways garner the attention of the family's eldest son, Cecil, who quickly seduces the naive girl. Before he leaves for a trip abroad, Cecil offers Evangeline a gift of a family heirloom, a ruby ring. It wasn't until much later that she realized she had built gossamer connections between his words, sticky as spider silk, filling in the phrases that she wanted to hear. Well, not long after, Evangeline discovers that she is pregnant. When the ring is found in her room, her employer accuses her of stealing. Without Cecil there to vouch for her and with no family of her own, she is sent to Newgate Prison and sentenced to 14 years transportation to the land beyond the seas. Evangeline would now have to endure the four-month journey across the seas to Van Diemen's Island, a penal colony in Australia, knowing that she will be giving birth on this voyage. Well, on board the Medea, the ship transporting the convicts to that faraway land, conditions are beyond squalid. When shown her quarters in the Orlop, Mickey, a sailor on the crew, reports that Orlop's just above the bilge, a stew of filthy water. Fragrant, ain't it? Add to that the chamber pots and stinky candles and God knows what else. There'll be close to 200 women and children down here at night. Evangeline notices the space was half a yard high and half a yard wide. No room to sit up 
and not long enough to stretch out, but it was hers. It is under these terrible circumstances that Evangeline meets Hazel, a 16-year-old Glaswegian who learned to be an herbalist and midwife from her mother. Her reticence speaks to a hard childhood in Scotland, but Evangeline sees a kindred spirit in this misunderstood soul. By carefully observing her mother's midwifery, Hazel gleaned many helpful skills about safe delivery and the benefits of using herbs, another reason that a nervous Evangeline wants to align herself with this very clever young woman. Mathena lived with her people in Flinders Island until she was eight. The orphaned daughter of the chief of the Laurene tribe, she had lost her mother a few months before the arrival of the new governor of Van Diemen's Island and his impulsive wife, the latter of whom views talking in, talking in the child as a quirky souvenir from her travels. Having the daughter of a chieftain, she thinks, will add a certain cachet to her collection. So Mathena and her pet possum, Waluka, are packed and transported to her new life, not realizing the precipice on which she is standing. She takes some comfort in the words of her late mother, who told her, You carry the people and the places you cherish with you. Remember that you will never be lonely, child. Mathena hopes that her mother was right. As in her previous novels, Orphan Train and A Piece of the World, Klein's impeccable research adds great import to the already moving story of three women, all of whom are exiles navigating the turbulent waters of their newfound circumstances. As Mrs. Fry tells her, Men don't have to live with the consequences of their actions. You do. Each woman learns this difficult lesson the hard way. The origin of the exiles was the true story of a female convict being transported to Australia, but Klein felt that it would be irresponsible not to address the issue of aboriginal people who were exiled from their own lands by the British. She learned all she could about the real-life Mathena to complement the narratives of Evangeline and Hazel. This research, coupled with her knack for telling a compelling story, coalesce in a riveting tale that will keep readers breathlessly hurtling toward the heart-rending conclusion. Each woman learns in her own way how the past is prologue, just as Nunakal, the aboriginal poet, states in the novel's epigraph, let no one say the past is dead. The past is all about us and within. Again, the book is called The Exiles by Christina Baker Klein, and that was reviewed by Bronwyn Miller in August of 2020. Now let's move on to another fictional work. This is one by a very popular author named Carl Hyacin. This is entitled Squeeze Me, a frothy blend of murder mystery and political satire set on the wealthy island of Palm Beach, Florida, and deep inside the unnamed 
U.S. President's private estate. When Kiki Pew Fitzsimmons, daughter of the aerosol pews and a leading Palm Beach socialite, disappears on the manicured grounds of Lippitt House in the middle of a fundraising gala, the last place anyone thinks to look is inside a giant Burmese python. Well, never mind that a gigantic specimen sporting an enormous bulge is discovered shortly afterward, sleeping off its meal in a banyan tree. Efficiently beheaded by professional critter wrangler uh, Angie Armstrong, the dead snake, which is promptly stolen, soon turns up on the interstate, where it temporarily halts the motorcade of the First Lady as she returns to Casa Bellicosa, her husband's Florida retreat. But who would steal a headless snake? What happened to its telltale bulge? And what about poor old Kiki, who just happened to belong to the Potuses, an influential all-female group of aging fans of the president? One mystery leads to another, and delightful subplots multiply as the sprightly narrative follows the intersecting adventures of Angie, the novel's irresistible heroine, the first lady bumbling villains, sardonic lawmen, loathsome politicians, and inevitably an Everglades dwelling, LSD-imbibing Echo Avenger, who is incubating an iguana egg in his one empty eye socket. So yes, the humor gets wild, and the satire a little bit outlandish, but this airy novel, taking pratfalls in stride, never loses its buoyancy, thanks to Hyacinth's deftly drawn characters and zingy dialogue. This exuberant elegy for Florida's paved-over paradise performs the near miracle of making us laugh even as we despair. This is a very unique novel, I must say, from the description, and uh, it was one of the most popular books at the Library for the Blind this past month, so uh, I think you should check it out. It's called Squeeze Me by Carl Hyacin. Now let's move on to a book called The Christmas Keeper by Jean McKinley. Or excuse me, I'm sorry, this is Jen McKinley. The second Joaquin Solis saw Savannah Wilson. He knew she was destined to be his wife. Unfortunately, Savannah's sights are set on a happily ever after of another kind, skewered the boss who got her fired. Until then, she won't act on the scorching sexual chemistry that is brewing between them, leaving Joaquin scrambling to find a way to capture her heart. When the opportunity arises to use his ranch to boost Savannah's publicity career, Joaquin doesn't hesitate to invite her into his world as Shadow Pines and moo her, woo her with all of his Christmas-loving mojo. It's a gamble since the holidays aren't really Savannah's thing, and helping her might also mean losing her as she plans to shake the dust off of their quaint town in North Carolina, and head back to New York City, the first chance she gets. But Joaquin believes in the magic of Christmas, and he knows with a little help from his friends at the Happily Ever After bookstore, he can convince the woman of his dreams that he's a keeper. 
And the title of this book is The Christmas Keeper, and it was written by Jen McKinley. That's J-E-N-N McKinley. Sounds like a good one. And you're listening to Heard Any Good Books Lately, an exclusive production of the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. So glad you decided to join us for today's program. Now we're going to turn to another book that is nonfiction, uh, but is a book that is very much needed at this particular time in our history. The book is called Love is the Way, Holding on to Hope in Troubled Times by Michael B. Curry. And uh, Michael Curry, by the way, is the uh, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church of the United States. Walk the path of love with one of the warmest, most beloved spiritual leaders of our time and learn how to put faith into action. As the descendant of slaves and the son of a civil rights activist, Bishop Michael Curry's life illustrates massive changes in our times. Much of the world met Bishop Curry when he delivered his sermon on the redemptive power of love at the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle at Windsor Castle. Here he expands on his message of hope in an inspirational road map for living the way of love, illuminated with moving lessons from his own life. Through the prism of his faith, ancestry, and personal journey, Love is the Way shows us how America came this far, and more important, how to go a whole lot further. The way of love is essential for addressing the seemingly insurmountable challenges facing the world today. Poverty, racism, selfishness, deep ideological divisions, competing claims to speak for God. This book will lead readers to discover the gifts they need in order to live the way of love. Deep reservoirs of hope and resilience, simple wisdom, the discipline of nonviolence, and unshakable regard for human dignity. Uh, I might point out here that I have read this book. It is excellent. I think you will really enjoy it. Again, it's called Love is the Way, Holding on to Hope in Troubled Times by Michael B. Curry. Now back to nonfiction, or excuse me, back to fiction this time. Let's uh, hear about a book called The Searcher by Tana French. And this is a review by Joe Hartlob, which was done in October of 2020. Tana French is primarily known for her Dublin Murder Squad mysteries, but her standalone novels are just as memorable. Following 2018's The Witch Elm, The Searcher is a character-driven work that moves quietly and purposefully toward a haunting conclusion. Here's the plot. Cal Hooper, the protagonist of this edgy tale, is a fish out of water who has deliberately dry-docked himself in a remote Irish village. Originally from North Carolina, Cal spent a quarter century as a Chicago detective before pulling the pen and retiring on the heels of a divorce, which he did not initiate and still does not understand. He purchases an abandoned cottage and is slowly making it habitable again, 
with the friendly and mild amusement of his neighbors who surround Art Nickelty, the row of businesses that pass for a village in the farming area. Everyone is friendly but curious about the newcomer, particularly Mart, a crusty customer, and Cal's next-door neighbor, who takes Cal under his wing while attempting to show him the geographical, cultural, and social lay of the land. However, Mart is also keeping an eye on the newly landed gentry from abroad, especially when Trey Reddy begins circling. In the early years of adolescence, Trey is part of a family on the lowest rung of the social ladder in a village where everyone's knowledge about the life of everyone else is a given. When Trey and Cal eventually meet, Cal discovers that Trey's intent involves more than just becoming acquainted with a new neighbor. He is aware of Cal's vocational background and wants him to locate his older brother who went missing some years before. Cal's reason for his departure from Chicago is to avoid encountering any such vestiges of his law enforcement job. But Trey's insistence, as well as Cal's growing sympathy for the 13-year-old, leads him to investigate. The residents of Ard Nickelty are aware of Cal's activities, and some, including Mart, attempt to quietly warn him off. Despite his own best efforts to the contrary, Cal just can't let go of the issue. As a result, he wants Trey and himself, he puts Trey and himself in grievous danger. The placid quiet of the Irish countryside does not give up its secrets easily, and Cal is extremely close to becoming yet another unsolved mystery of the region. The searcher won't prevent French's fan base from yearning for a return to the world of the Dublin murder squad. That said, the characters who populate this worthy book are as haunting as any she has presented thus far. While there are a few surprises, including one major stunner, the primary emphasis here is on the ways in which people interact or do not, as opposed to what occurs in a standard thriller. Now, one would be tempted to call this a coming-of-age novel for adults, given that Cal finds a way to adjust to his new circumstances, but ultimately it is a situational examination of a man approaching the twilight of his life and not going gently into it. Newcomers to French's work and established fans who are able to slightly shift their topical expectations from what she has written before will find The Searcher especially rewarding. This is a review that was done by Joe Hartlob in October of 2020, and the book is called The Searcher by Tana French. And uh, once again, I have, I have read this one myself, and it is an excellent read. I think you would enjoy it. Now let's move on to a book by Jenny Colgan. This one is called 500 Miles From You. Now here's the plot. What happens when two medical professionals, ex-army medic from a village in the Scottish Highlands and an inner-city nurse from inner-city London, switch jobs for three months and become unlikely pen pals? Lissa is a nurse in a gritty, hectic London neighborhood. 
always terribly competent and good at keeping it all together. She's been suffering quietly with PTSD after helping to save the victim of a shocking crime. Her supervisor quietly arranges for Lissa to spend a few months doing a much less demanding job in the little town of Cairnfife in the Scottish Highlands, hoping that the change of scenery will help her heal. Lissa will be swapping places with Cormac, an army veteran who, who's Karen Fife's easygoing nurse, paramedic, all-purpose medical man. Now, Lissa's never experienced small-town life, and Cormac's never spent more than a day in a big city, but it seems like a swap that would do them both some good. Well, in London, the gentle Cormac is a fish out of water. In Karen Fife, the dynamic Lissa finds it hard to adjust to the quiet. But these two strangers are now in constant contact, taking over each other's patients, endlessly emailing about anything and everything. Lissa and Cormac discover a new depth of feeling for their profession and for each other. But what will happen when Lissa and Cormac finally meet. Well, if you'd like to know, you'll have to get this book from the North Carolina Library from the for the Blind. It's called 500 Miles from You, and it's by Jenny Colgan. Now, here's another nonfiction book that was very popular in the month of December at the Library for the Blind. This is uh, Our Wild Calling, How Connecting with Animals Can Transform by Richard Louvre. That's spelled L-O-U-V, by the way. Richard Louvre has done it again, a remarkable book that will help everyone break away from their fixed gaze at the screens that dominate our lives and remember instead that we are animals in a world of animals. And that's a quote by Bill McKibben, who is the author of a book called Falter. Richard Louvre's landmark book, Last Child in the Woods inspired an international movement to connect children and nature. Now Louvre redefines the future of human-animal coexistence. Our Wild Calling explores these powerful and mysterious bonds and how they transform our mental, physical, and spiritual lives, serve as an antidote to the growing epidemic of human loneliness, and help us tap into the empathy required to preserve life on Earth. Louvre interviews researchers, theologians, wildlife experts, indigenous healers, psychologists, and others to show how people are communicating with animals in ancient and new ways, how dogs can teach children ethical behavior, how animal-assisted therapy may yet transform the mental health field, and what role the human-animal relationship plays in our spiritual health. He reports on wildlife relocation and on how the growing populations of wild species in urban areas are blurring the lines between domestic and wild animals. Our Wild Calling makes the case for protecting, promoting, and creating a sustainable and shared habitat for all creatures, not out of fear, but out of love. Transformative and inspiring, this book points us toward what we all long for in the age of technology, 
Real Connection. And the book is called Our Wild Calling, How Connecting with Animals Can Transform by Richard Louvre. And that's all the time we have for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? I'm George Douglas. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the North Carolina Library for the Blind, simply Google or search for NC Library for the Blind or call toll-free 888-388-2460. This program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. With special thanks to the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped for sponsoring the program. Heard Any Good Books Lately will be available right after the broadcast at our website, ncreadingservice.org. So long till next time.